everyone and welcome into another episode of the comics experience make comics podcast the show where we talk about the nuts and bolts of making comics as well as career changes as well as industry uh upheavals uh joe casada the former editor-in-chief of marvel comics recently announced that he was stepping down from his current position which was no longer eic at marvel and andy and i were just talking before uh clicking the old record button about kind of his timeline and getting involved with marvel and uh, andy obviously having worked at marvel worked with uh, joe casada i remember his early work uh, predating Marvel Knights. And it was one of those like, oh, cool, those guys are doing something for Marvel now. And uh, like a lot of other folks uh, checked out what they were doing. And it seemed like it, it, from an outsider's perspective, it seemed like it really did kind of reinvigorate uh, or at least change directions for what Marvel was doing. And Andy, you'd suggested that what might be valuable to talk through is what this kind of change means for comics creators as far as people getting in you know, trying to get a foot in the door with Marvel or people that are already established and how kind of uh, editorial changes can affect uh, everybody else on down the line. Yeah. Um, just to, just to start off just with a quick sort of, you know, additional recap of his, his interactions with Marvel prior to Marvel, he was an independent creator. He ran event comics. He did a, he did a bunch of really cool stuff at Valiant, like with Ninjak and, um, he co-created painkiller Jane and Ash. So, and then it was event comics, the company with him and Jimmy Palmiotti and Nancy that signed the deal with Marvel to create Marvel Knights and imprint, um, which was a really great imprint. Um, and one of the things that, that they managed to do was, when they hit things well, like everybody was paying attention that, that Kevin mm-hmm. Smith, Joe, Jimmy daredevil run, mm-hmm. like hit big. Um, black Panther was, a, was a good hit for them. You know, when, with Mark Teixeira and Jim and, um, and Christopher priest. Yeah. And, um, but then when things like didn't work, they were really good at just like sweeping, <laughs> sweeping them under the carpet. Like there was a doctor's, there was a Doctor Strange run that like that people don't remember, and Tony Harris was on it. Yeah, there, it, was, there, it was amazing. Um, there, there were a couple of great uh, creators doing comics that just didn't click. Yeah, the Punisher series, you know, clearly was was one of them where he was like a reincarnated angel demon guy uh, that didn't work. Right, and then they just then they got Garth Ennis and Steve Dillon, and there's like literally one line of dialogue. You know, in that, that was like, I was dead. I got better. And, and he's, <laughs> he's back to being Punisher. And, and you know what? That sometimes that's the best solution. So um, anyway, Marvel Knights, like, you know, really kind of had a vision and, re- you know, and it had a voice. The the line had a voice. And mm-hmm. it was sort of like the street level characters or whatever. And then, you know, I, I certainly can't speak to anything that was going on on the upper levels or what Marvel was looking for. But they clearly made a change. Um, and Joe was offered the gig to take over editor in chief of the whole thing. And then in those early two thousands, that was in two. So 98 was when the, the Marvel Knights stuff started. And then 2000 is when he, he became EIC and, you know, and then I joined about a year and a half, I, I think, or maybe two years, uh, after that, uh, is when I was hired <coughs> and came in and it was, it was fascinating to see to see somebody that was really that invested and that energetic, um, you know, really go to work in a, in a process way. Mm -hmm. Um, because you know, what, what he would do is, is as his EIC and Bill Jemis was president at the time and was kind of part of this, 
process as well is they would kind of look at one character or group of characters franchise whatever you know or line whatever you want to call it kind of at a time and dig in and do and do a lot of work and try to revitalize it so it was we're going to look at x-men and that's when they they wound up getting Frank quietly and Grant Morrison on the X-Men. And then they were like, okay, we're, we're kind of getting the X-Men back to something new or fresher. And it feels more relevant and that sort of thing. And then it was JMS and John Romita Jr. on Spider-Man. So, and then it was, we got Bendis and Finch um, going on Avengers and, and a hundred percent of that credit doesn't necessarily need to go to Joe and Bill. Cause there were obviously other people involved, but, mm. but they were, they were always involved in those higher level you know, in those higher level decisions, they were basically picking <laughs> what are we targeting? Right. What are we targeting next? And it was a, and it was a process approach that was, that was really good. And sometimes those changes were uncomfortable, you know, like, I mean, yeah, they, they wind up like calling, calling the editorial office in for a line and be like, we're, you know, essentially they're like, we're looking at your line now and what are we going to do to bolster it make it better, freshen it up, blah, blah, blah. And if you're loyal to all your creators, you've got friendships with them, and you're working on things that you that you like but may not be setting the sales charts on fire, that can get uncomfortable because on the one hand, you want to defend you know, the stories you're working on, your own work, mm-hmm. the creators you're working with. and But on the other, like your boss <laughs> is telling you to take a look at this and we, we might want to make a change. Uh, so, you know, it can certainly lead to uncomfortable things. But I think – that feeling of uncomfortable is is um, not pleasant, but I think it's also kind of necessary. Like right. I think if you're if you're if you're feeling comfortable with all your titles as an editor, um, and, you know that might be a red flag that that something might need to need to change or will need to change soon. Because often mm-hmm. you can sort of revitalize a book if it's like an ongoing series and let it ride for a while you know, kind of cap out its run or whatever. And then you're going to, you're going to want to make some changes, change the status quo, change the creative team, whatever it might be to, to do that, mm-hmm. uh, to reinvigorate. And that was a lot of what Joe, you know, I think did as editor in chief that I really, that I really liked, um, being there. And like I said, it was uncomfortable. It doesn't mean that I always thought every single thing that he did, uh, or was involved in or led the charge on or whatever was the best possible version of those characters. But there was a lot of good stuff. I, th- mm-hmm. I think I feel comfortable saying there's a lot of really good stuff sure. that came out during that run. And then he was promoted to chief creative officer. That was after I left at some point. Um, he was still EIC when I left. So I think that was, yeah, 2010. Um, he became chief creative officer. And I really don't know anything about that role. I think that role was created at that time so i don't know you know i remember the sort of the announcement about it was like sure. he was going to work more with the, with the west coast team and maybe be more involved in licensing or something like that you know it was, it was just a bigger bigger role but i don't really know what what the day-to-day w- was like in that i've heard i've heard from some people that worked with him in that role that like he was very and you know he was invested in you know the stuff he was working on yeah um but you know he's you know, obviously during that time, Marvel was bought by Disney. Kevin Feige has had a tremendous rise over in the Marvel Cinematic Universe as the producer. Um, so I don't, you know, what does it mean when when somebody who has that much um, control is not the word I want to use, but influence or influence, yeah, yeah. influence. Um, you know, on a line of comics leaves. I can't say 
for sure, because again, I don't really know what the chief creative officer role is, but you know, we can imagine or we can look back at what it was like when he left the editor in chief seat and then um, Axel Alonso came in for a couple of years and now CB Sobolski is in that editor's chair and you can see how the line changes and anytime the line is changing or the vision behind the line is changing and sometimes we're aware of it because it's like a big news like the editor-in-chief changes or the publisher changes uh like dan didio left dc uh, a year and a half ago two years ago mm-hmm. um you can you just sort of you know it's it's sort of like the people that are there get really nervous and by the by there i don't just mean like the staff i mean like the creators involved because like oh there's this big change are they just going to sweep all of us away and I'm going to lose my book or, you know, are they going to change? So what happens is there's this nervousness for the people that are in already. And then there's this like optimism for people who are just outside kind of looking in because that with the change of vision, there are going to be changes that ripple down. Mm -hmm. Right. And that may close the door for, you know, for one creator or one creator on one project. Mm hmm. It may open the door for another. And so, you know, these types of changes, if they come fast and furious and there's a new EIC every year, that's chaos. <laughs> right? Yeah. But but if it's more deliberate and whoever is coming in has some sort of vision, and that vision doesn't have to be, I know what I want every single book to be. That vision can be, this is how I want to run the office. Right. I want I want to empower my individual editors to manage their own vision. And that seems to be what Marie Javins, the current editor in chief at DC, I've spoken with her and that's, that's what she, I mean, that's what she flat out told me. Her thing is, is she's like, I don't want to pick the creative teams. I want them to pick the creative teams. I want them to have ownership. I want them to succeed and yeah. have those wins, which is really, which is really cool. Right. And then other, you know, when, when Joe is in charge and I'm not saying this, like one way is right. One way is wrong. They're both, valid you know when joe was in charge he was a little more hands-on he was like let's get in let's dig in together and he'd invite his the editor editorial team in we were you know we were part of that discussion or whoever's office he was dealing with was part of that discussion um but you know he he put us put some pressure on you to make sure you were you were doing your best work and so you know you just have these it means that change is coming the thing that makes people nervous, makes readers nervous, makes creators nervous is they don't know what that change is going to be <laughs> until, until it starts to show. And so there's been a lot of changes, you know, in the last you know couple of years here over at DC Comics. There was a lot of announcements of this is coming in. And now, and now it's being sold to, to Discovery. Uh, or maybe that deal closed and, and DC's part of Discovery now. But I, I believe it has closed, yeah. Okay, so it's owned by... <laughs> I can't keep track. Sure. So it's owned by Discovery now. And so like they're, when, when, when the company, the giant company like that, is having those sorts of things going on, um, that can also be chaos on the editorial level and the creative level because you, you, you don't have those higher-up marching orders yet, and you're just like waiting. Yeah. Um, sometimes that's empowering because you're like, Hey, we've got a window where we can kind of do every, anything we want because nobody's really looking because they're all looking at, at, you know, a billion dollar deal or a multi-billion dollar deal. So they don't really care what we do with, with Batman and Robin for the next five minutes. So let's do something really fun. 
or sometimes you like put everything in a holding pattern. You're like, look, just don't rock the boat because if we do something and they don't like it in the middle of this deal and it winds up coming up in that meeting Mm -hmm. about the $500 billion deal, then we're all fired. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. Like, so like, you know, how you want to navigate that sort of thing is, um, is kind of, you know, different people navigate it will navigate it differently. But, you know, I'm really curious what's going to happen at both Marvel and DC. How big of an impact Joe leaving that chief creative officer role is going to have trickled down, given that he wasn't day-to-day editor-in-chief anymore, how big of an impact is that going to have in the comics? I don't know. It'll have some impact, likely, you know, but how how big, I don't know. What would be What would be interesting is to see if other people sort of cascade and leave, like if within the next few months we find out that Dan Buckley, the publisher, is leaving, or C.B. Smolsky, the editor in chief, is leaving, or, or one of the the top editors there is leaving, or a couple of those types of changes, or the managing editor is leaving, then then you know that it looks like, then that says to me that it's looking like there's going to be these ripple effects, you know, and bigger ones. Um, but you know that's all that's all sort of just you know, trying to read tea leaves, which is all speculation ultimately. And none of those things have happened, right? Sure, There's sure. Announcement that, that Joe has, that Joe is leaving and that announcement, you know, all, I think all he said was I'm leaving. It's been awesome. Still love those guys. And I've got some things I want to do. Yeah. And like, it's just simple as making a career change. Right. Whereas with DC, it's been a little bit, you know, it's clearly more, um, well, it's been more transparently chaotic. <laughs> maybe this move and moves that are coming will be chaotic and we may not may or may not know over at Marvel and through Disney and whatever, or it may be exactly what it is on the surface. One guy decided he wanted to do something else. Um, so anybody that's sort of speculating that this is like the beginning of the end of an era or that sort of, you know, that sort of thing, like I would just say, just, just pause. There's, there's no, no, nothing that I have seen. Mm-hmm makes me think that and i've been through a lot of corporations doing a lot of upheaval and things like that like i'm pretty good at at seeing those things when it comes to entertainment companies right um with dc it's been much more transparent like we we, because so much more of it had to be transparent when there's a big deal going on and warner brothers is being sold to discovery and you know at&t um you know and i and i happen to be working there for for us for part of that time um, or freelance working for them. And so, you know, I certainly heard things about things that AT&T was imposing and, you know, stuff like that. And when you're trying to sell a company like that, you, you, you know, the, the massive layoffs that took place at DC a couple of years ago um, that just it eliminated all kinds of institutional knowledge over, yeah. um, was, was to get ready to sell it. I mean, you just eliminate all that overhead and then on paper, you, you look a lot more profitable and you look a lot bigger and then you can sell the company for more when you sell it to, to Discovery. And then hopefully, in my opinion, one of the one of the things Discovery will start to do is is fill in some of those roles and try to get some people with with, you know, some of that depth of experience um, and contacts, mm-hmm. you know. It, whether it's the same people, I don't know that they necessarily would want to go and hire the same people, but getting people in that, that are that can help kind of bulk that up because they really got rid of a lot of people who'd been there for a long time. Like I said, had institutional knowledge, not everyone, 
it's not like there's nobody that's been working there has been working there longer than five years or anything but right there's a lot that got lost that got lost there and a lot of roles that we as readers don't don't tend to pay attention to but they're they're important so you know we'll kind of you know we kind of have to see now it's a wait and see game you know especially as readers um you know how are things going to change over at dc how are things going to change now at marvel and those changes and those ripple effects they're going to come out you know most definitely over months but probably over years you know when it's when it's bigger changes like the company being sold and like management is figuring out like these giant high level plans and then they're those things are going to start trickling down. Okay, how do we execute that in film? How do we execute that in licensing? How do we execute that in soft goods and hard goods? How do we execute that in the comics themselves? I don't know where the when the spotlight gets shined on the comics, but it'll it'll happen. So it's just um, I don't know. I just thought it was using Joe's leaving as an opportunity to, to discuss sort of like these. Uh, forces, I guess, you know, they're like almost like forces of nature, right? You can't right. stop that coming storm, but you might be able to, uh, you know, raise your sail and catch it and ride the wave out or whatever. I'm mixing terrible metaphors, <laughs> but you get you get the idea. You I, know, I think that part of when you see those moves and probably more to your example on the the DC side, as far as that AT&T purchase and then now the Discovery purchase, as you saw, uh, pretty publicly publicized layoffs happen. You know, you had all those uh, on top of COVID, on top of just the, the, you know, the industry having supply chain issues, having whatever other bumps along the way. And then, you know, your editor, Jane Doe is has been just reduced from her job or whatever the whatever the corporate term is. Somebody gets laid off because they have to cut 10 percent of the workforce across the board. And the, obviously that's terrible for Jane Doe. And if you had something that had some momentum with Jane Doe, you know, are your best options to reach out to another editor and, and see what you can do. And it's a, you know, it's a hard situation, I think, for for everybody involved, uh, especially those creators uh, being laid off. But if you have stuff in motion, it's it's like you said, how can you <laughs> change direction with the wind? And as as a, a creator and doing your your thing as a, a freelancer or a small business entity, however you might view yourself, that unfortunately is a lot of the nature of of the world and always has been. And I think there's a lot of pluses and there's also a lot of minuses with where things are, you know, as, as a current 2022 landscape, um, then comics, you know, the, it always seems like there's some sort of wave you have to ride or <laughs> figure out how to get around. Yeah. I mean, it will, and it really is. And right now it's interesting. I mean, we've just been talking about Marvel and DC, but <clears throat> dark horse was just bought, I think by that. Um, was it like M and I forget what the name of it is, but like this giant com- company, yeah, and they're raising like bill, a billion something dollars right now, like, and they're and they're not an American company. I mean, this isn't this isn't going to be Mike Richardson's Dark Horse anymore. Like, yeah. we, I don't know what those changes are going to are going to be, but it's going to be different, right? And um, there's going to be an emphasis on new things, or they're going to want to mine more of Dark Horse's comics for other media, and that maybe those are good things. I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, IDW has been going through a lot of changes uh, lately. Um, so, you know, that right there is four of the, what, six or seven 
And in Large some publishers. cases, yeah, with IDW, I know some of the changes, unfortunately, they lost some licenses, but it seems like they're really ramping up creator-owned, which is great for creators right. in, in that regard. Yeah, and there's been there's been some changes over at uh, um, over at Boom recently too. I mean, they, they it seems like that's been uh, that's been a fairly smooth transition. But uh, Ross Ritchie, who was one of the founders of the company, um, I think he I think he's I think he left like completely, and so that was kind of the end of. Oh wow, I, did, I didn't so, know that. Or maybe maybe he, maybe he still has a role, but he's out of the day to day like comic book operation, maybe at mm-hmm. a higher level or something like that. But um, but Philip Sablik, who is the is the publisher, and you know I think he's hands on. So I think that one was a fairly smooth transition because Philip was already there and had been there, um, and so you know I don't think I don't think that changed a whole lot there in terms of you know the types of books that they're putting out it may have changed i mean who knows it may have changed management styles or something like that but yeah um but you know i mean we've been seeing some some major shifts over the last couple of years here at all of these big publishers you know there hasn't been that i'm a i mean there well i was going to say there hasn't been a whole lot of change at image but that's not true they formed a union that's a pretty big change mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a massive change um and I know they've had a lot of layoffs uh, recently. Well, a lot is a relative term, but they've had several layoffs or people leaving. Or I'm not sure if it's layoffs or people leaving, but um, you know, there've been a lot of changes over there. Not at the top. Like Eric Stevenson is still there, and he's been the, the I think he's publisher is his title, I think. But um, you know, he's been there for years. But yeah, I mean, there there are changes afloat, changes about like pretty much everywhere in all these major publishers and that can come from a lot of different places. And I think in, in the case right now, it is coming from a lot of different cases. Like there may be market forces that may have nothing to do with comics publishing, probably don't, mm-hmm. you know, that are causing, you know, VC to be kind of caught in these like, you know, buying and so, you know, sold to AT&T now sold to discovery and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Those are market forces that are outside of just like, you know, comic readership or whatever, but the readership has changed. So we're seeing a lot of these changes and it, it can look like, oh my gosh, what's happening? But it, it some of them happen naturally. Some of them happen because people have been in roles for a long time and they want to move on or whatever. So the, the trick, you know, and, you know, as somebody who does work freelance, the thing to do is try to remain open-minded you know, about, well, who's coming in or, you know, is there an opportunity now to pitch a book where maybe I wouldn't have wanted to pitch a book? Um, you know, I don't, you know, it's, it's, or is there a, is there a new editor coming in? Who's going to respond to my art style? Um, so, you know, if you're somebody that's on the, that's, that feels like you're kind of on the outside or maybe you're getting close, like it can, you know, look at it as opportunity. And if you're somebody who's on the inside right now, also look at it as opportunity. It's a lot harder if you're on the inside right now to look at it as opportunity because you're, you know, quote unquote winning (laughs) right now. Right. So if you're winning and change is coming, you're like, but I might not be winning then. Right. But the reality is it may open doors for, for people who are already doing well too. Like it doesn't mean, you know, and being being able to adapt and change, and go, oh, okay, you know, you might be working on, you know, one of the flagship titles at one of these companies, and that 
editor may wind up leaving for whatever reason, that can happen whether there's a regime change or not, and often does. And so, you know, as a freelancer, you, your job is always to try and be finding more contacts and more people that want to work with you and that you want to work with and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And this doesn't change that. Like, it's still true. Um, the changes may come faster, so being set up to, you know, be and, and, and wanting to meet new people as they may come in is is only going to help, help them, too. Mm-hmm. So it's just... Um, it's hard to look at it, I think, as opportunity, but it's it's the best way to, to try to do it. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, and necessary because there are, like you said, those forces of nature that happen. And, you know, I, I don't know what the makeup of the audience is. You might know the makeup of the students that you see. And just thinking about people that I know having gone through comics experience around the same time that I am, just in terms of age, there can be a, uh, a range of people at different career, uh, different places in their career and different places in life. But it is one of those cliches. Like, I feel like I get older, the, the constant just remains change. It's such a kind of a hackneyed, <laughs> a hackneyed <laughs> cliche of the only constant is change, but that's just how it rolls. And the forces of nature keep, uh, keep coming and keep doing their thing. And the more that you're able to pivot and be flexible and, you know, I, I've, I've been the most slammed I've been since uh, pre-COVID the past uh, four or five weeks. I've got like nine active, ten active projects in different <laughs> different stages of going. And the thing that I keep coming back to is, hey, remember last year? All right. This is this, this is the feast time. You got to you got to roll with it. Do the best you can with everything and, and keep that boulder going up that hill. It's a. Uh, it's not a grass is always greener, but it's a, hey, what's this? This is where we are. All right, let's go. Which isn't to say there aren't moments of, oh, man. But, you know, being able to manage and, and weather what's going on that you can't control is is huge. I saw a discussion the other day on Twitter with some comics folks chiming in about how, um, how you respond to rejection with a pitch. You know, it kind of it came out of another thought, which is I, I would much rather have a no than be ghosted. And that I think is unfortunately so much part of a lot of creative services industries is you're involved in a conversation about a project, whatever it is. And then you just don't get uh, the, Hey, you know what? We're doing something else. We went another way. Hey, no, thank you. So you never quite get that closure. I I had that recently with something that I thought was going to go non-comics related where, uh, Hey, we need to do this quickly. I had a meeting uh, two days after the initial contact and Hey, this is the plan. Great. Okay. Well, we could do something next week maybe. And then sending a follow-up email. Hey, just confirming we have Friday open and then nothing. And you just like, I, it, it's okay if it doesn't go. I, you know, I, I'm not going to bill you for my time. It's just nice to have that. Hey, this isn't going to work right now for whatever reason you're going to tell me. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, the life of the creator is the life of the creator. <laughs> yeah, it's um th- that kind of thing happens all the time. It happens all the time in comics to comic creators. Um, I'll I'll even as a comic creator, I'll even have companies call and be like, "We want you to do a project." I'm like, "Great, tell me more," and then they'll tell me more about the project, and we'll have maybe a few phone calls, and then like I'll just not hear anything after that. And then eventually I'll often wind up, you know, seeing that person, you know, maybe a six months or a year later at a convention or something. Be like, hey, we're talking about a thing. Anything ever happened to that? Oh, yeah, that got cut in a meeting. 
had nothing to do, you know, often, I mean, or maybe they're just being polite and they say it has nothing to do with me, but, uh, yeah, they're like, oh yeah, like I cut in a meeting, we had a publishing meeting and then they just decided to go a different way. They didn't want to highlight green arrow or whoever, you know? Right. And so, okay, that's fine. But like, it would be nice if you gave me a call. Um, you know, there've been a couple of times where I've been hired to work on a project and then, uh, you know, and then that project gets, you know, the editor on that project gets replaced and the editor leaving doesn't inform the new editor that there were people hired. And so like, I'm over there working, doing my thing, not knowing anything's happening. And the next thing I know there's an announcement and I'm not on a project anymore. And then I find out that it's like, Oh yeah, I forgot to tell the new <laughs> like, I forgot. You forgot to tell the new editor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, that's only happened like once or twice, but, it can be frustrating for sure. Like, like just the not knowing what's going on or things happening and you're just not informed, but, but people pitching books. I mean, that, that is the story that I hear all the time. Every convention I go to, every time I'm talking with creators, I always hear about, yeah, I got approached by a publisher. I turned in a pitch and then I never heard anything back. Or I was in conversation with an editor. We wanted to do something. I turned in a pitch. I never heard anything back. Or I submitted when there was an open window and I never heard anything back. And a lot of it is really frustrating because, you know, one of the reasons why a no was really important to the creator is a lot of creators will go, here's my top couple picks of where I'd like it to land. Right. So they'll submit it there and then they want to hear something back and then they wait. And then three to five months later, they haven't heard anything back and they're like, okay, well, I guess I'll go here or here and I may tweak it to fit more in line with those other places uh, so it has a better chance to succeed there and then they'll they'll look around and then they don't hear anything back and the and so it's just you know the that whole process could be sped up if somebody said nah we're gonna pass yep yep or that four weeks after you sent it in yep that could save you four months for sure also you know sometimes I mean I certainly would not expect to get feedback every time I get a rejection, but every once in a while, someone would be like, Hey, I really like this. Here's what I think would make it more palatable, you know, or, or more attractive, you know, to a, to a publisher, we're going to pass on it, but like, here's, here's two cents. And that can, that can be really useful stuff. Cause usually a publisher is not going to tell you something like that. If their if their intention is not to be honest about it. Um, you know, they don't tend to like blow smoke. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, that is that's a huge that's a huge problem, and that's one of the things that at CEX Publishing, um, we try to get back to everybody. We try to make sure. I'm sure there's been a case or two where we have somehow managed to you know, something slipped through and we didn't respond to somebody. But right. I, uh, you know, that certainly is the goal is to respond to everybody so that so that um, you get a you get a yes or a no. We also. We also don't just have open submissions um, because you tend, as a publisher, comics publisher, you tend to get flooded. And getting back to everybody that just sends you an email is we don't we legitimately like don't have the bandwidth for that. So, you know, if your submit sort of like your submission is accepted, you, you should get an, you should get an answer and relatively quickly too. Right. Um, yeah, I find that, I think that's really important, and I think it's important for community building too. Like a lot of the creators that we've going back to and said, we're going to pass on this. You know, we get a thank you just for, just for letting them know. Sure. Uh, 
you know, I don't think I've had anybody react really poorly. I mean, I've had people that, you know, they're kind of bummed, which is completely understandable, but I've never had somebody react like super poorly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a good practice, I think, in, in all that you do and as, as best you can. And I, I try to do that with just things around the house. If we have estimates like the, the tree, the tree clearing estimate we've had, in our, we've had one tree fall and we've had a section of a tree fall in our house. So we're pretty aware of our tree situation and we right. have, we have an arborist out with a crew or an arborist out to talk about bringing a crew out uh, every couple of years, just as a check of, Hey, we good. And the last uh, estimate I got was way more than we were interested in spending at the moment with no signs of like, you got to take this down now. So it was, it was a business transaction for me to say, Thanks so much for this. I'll keep it on file right now. It's not within our budget, but you know, we'll, we'll have you out again when it makes sense. And at the very least, I feel like, you know, that took me three sentences to kick out and I want them to do the work again. I just can't do it right now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That can be really expensive. It's like bizarrely expensive. (laughs) Uh, It's funny that that's the example because we had, we had a similar situation a couple of years ago. I was like, yeah, that all sounds really good, but I can't, I can't pay you to do yeah, yeah, we had uh, we had an unnamed cable company that kept not showing up to take down their cable line, and the cost for the crane that had to come in to extract help extract the rest of the tree uh, from our backyard was twenty five hundred dollars a day, and at one point one of the crew said to me. I mean, if we don't get started soon, they're going to have to come back again and they're going to charge us. So we're going to have to charge you. So I was like, let me get the clippers because I can make this happen real fast. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I get it. Like they're not just wanting to charge me money to charge me money. Um, But at the the same turn, you know, you got to got to hit that budget. Yeah. Well, our tree talk podcast will go well. Uh, I also have questions about Prometheus, which is celebrating an anniversary, but I think that's for your other podcast. Uh, If you want to uh, see what's going on over at CEX Publishing, you can always check out uh, cexpublishing.com. And of course, Andy and Comics Experience are always on at comicsexperience.com. Andy, is there anything coming up that uh, you want to mention to folks? Uh, Yeah, there's going to be some new solicits coming out in the Diamond and Lunar catalogs um that you guys should should check out but um we've got macabre motel um a one-shot horror book coming out real soon um followed by hell nebraska a graphic novel um we're bringing silencers fred van lente and steve ellis's book back into print uh fairly soon so we've got a lot a lot coming out the publishing line's been expanding you know steadily slowly and steadily so we can manage it um there's a lot of good stuff that we haven't announced yet um, one thing, since you were involved in this, Joey, back in the day, is the Space Corps book that we put out that was um, three 48-page uh, issues is is going to be one of our first trades. We're collecting that. That's great. Um, That'll make a great trade. And it was a black and white uh, sci-fi war story, and uh, the trade has been colored. Gannon, who is the artist and the co-writer of the whole thing, actually colored the entire trade in the last couple of months um and it looks great so um the comics are great i love the comics in black and white because he does he does gray tones and so there's this it, it just it's really really wonderful i love that book um as do john rogers and tom king apparently yeah so um 
so uh so but it's been colored and uh it looks great it looks really really fantastic i was reading the the pdf of the whole thing the other day and i just i only intended to kind of look at the first you know 10 or so pages just to make sure i I was happy with the coloring (laughs) i just wound up reading the whole thing again uh it's so good um but that trade um that trade's gonna be solicited in a couple of weeks um so uh, so make sure you're you're out asking your comic shops for it because it's totally worth it. It's such a good book. You love it. An excellent um, way to catch up on it for sure. Yeah. And um, over on on my other podcast, since you mentioned it, the franchise fan guys, uh, we just uh, we just released our Top Gun uh, episode. So we did the Top Gun Maverick review as well. And um, and what we do over there is 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 sort of relative to, to you know, especially if you're a, a writer of comics, um, you know, we, we sort of dissect these franchises. We talk about what works, what doesn't. And so it's not a typical movie podcast where you're just like you talk about a movie and that's it. Um, you know, we will do multiple episodes on a franchise. So we'll talk about topics and then, but, but we may talk about multiple movies within that topic and how it's changed over time and lessons learned and stuff like that. So it's, um, I don't know. And we, mainly we just want to have fun and, and, um, but, but hopefully there's some opportunities to learn stuff too, but, uh, it's a fun podcast for you. So check out I, franchise fan guys. If you I, I don't know that I can endorse it. It sounds like you're blackballing hot shots and hot shots part do. Uh, I wouldn't say a blackball, but, uh, <laughs> I just didn't consider them. Uh, you no, you we, washed out. They're they're gone. They're no longer in the program. I get it. I understand your Navy talk. <laughs> we, uh, yeah, I mean, we mainly do like sci-fi action and fantasy. Uh, that's been that's been the bread and butter. Um, we've stayed away from the biggest franchise. We haven't done like Star Wars and Star Trek. Um, but uh, recently, we did we did a couple episodes on Pitch Perfect, where we so we're, we're branching out a bit, so it, which was really fun. It was really fun to do those episodes. And like the, and that was my idea to do Pitch Perfect, and and the other two guys were like, I don't know about this. Oh and no! Then we, and then we did it, and uh, and we all really enjoyed it. And of course, it was different. And that's what oh, I think. Oh, it's great! Like, it's when, a great movie. Too bad. The first, too the bad there were no sequels. That's unfortunate. Yeah. Too bad they yeah. never made any more. It was just one really awesome movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that was our consensus as well. Um, but yeah, it was just, you know, whenever you do something like that, the contrast of like, you know, because it's always sci-fi and action and fantasy and, or horror. We've done some horror. That was that one was really fun for me because I'd never watched the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, much less 12 of them. There, um, there are 12? No, I don't think it's 12. I think there's sort of, I think the first six get go up to like Freddy's Dead. Whew. And then there's a new nightmare after that, and then there's Freddy versus Jason, and then there then there was the full on remake with, um, I want to say Joel Haley Osment, who I haven't thought about. Last <laughs> you, time, right? It's Jay, it's a uh, Jackie Earl Haley, Jackie Earl Haley. Yeah. <laughs> different guy. But that different would have been guy. a great movie too, Haley Joel Osment. Uh, yeah, yeah, Haley Joel Osment. Yeah, he, he uh, plays his yeah. son. Haley Joel Osment's in the sequel. Yeah, it was just really interesting because uh, Tom on the podcast was a big fan. Uh, like growing up, like that, like Nightmare on Elm Street was like one of his favorite things. Um, so he came to it with you know all this like history and the love of the original at the times that they were coming. And, and he was younger, and he's younger than I am. And I was coming to it as a today, like um, you know, I'd seen, I'd certainly seen at least parts of many of them. But um, but I never like sat down and like watched you know watched them all in the course of a week, um, 
and like taking notes on them and stuff like that was that was pretty interesting and i and and as bad as a lot of those movies are like i wound up sort of becoming a fan anyway like i'd like to see more nightmare on elm street stuff (laughs) hey uh i know it's not uh, movies are you watching strange new worlds uh so i just um i just caught up on the second i've just finished the second season of uh discovery which has Captain Pike in it, and he returns to the Enterprise at the end of season two of Discovery. So this week I'll be starting Strange New Worlds. Well, as a, a Star Trek fan who's not regularly watched Star Trek since, let's call it, 2002, uh, and loved The Next Generation and the original series and a big old chunk of the movies, boy, do I love Strange New Worlds. If you're at all on the fence of uh, checking it out, because maybe, I don't know, you don't want to buy Paramount+, Plus, you didn't like uh, other Star Trek series... It's just weekly adventures with some some plot that moves along for stuff. But man, are they doing everything right? All right, yeah, I, good. I'm I, looking forward to it. I cannot get over how much I enjoy that show. Awesome, it's, uh, it's great. And as my hair continues to gray, I've told my wife I'm going to go for the Captain Pike. That's the hairstyle I'm going to land on. I think that's uh, that's about all I can do with it. There you go. Yeah, I finished Discovery season two, and then before starting Strange New Worlds, I went back and I watched. The original series episodes, the menagerie with Captain Pike mm. and the cage and all that stuff. Interesting. Um, yeah, I wanted a refresher because that stuff comes up in Discovery a little bit. I mean, it's, when it comes up in Discovery, like you don't have to go watch it, but it was interesting to go back and and then watch it. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to more adventures. I think um, uh, I'd like whenever the the characters from the Enterprise appeared on Discovery, I I liked all of them. So, um, yeah, there's a great, a lot of great characterization and it's also fun that they can mix and match the characters in different scenarios. They do a good job of balancing characters, getting screen time and having some business to do. And it's not everybody doing the same thing and the same stakes every week. Yeah. Yeah. I like Anson Mount as Captain Pike quite a lot. And I like, uh, I'm I'm blanking on his name, but I like the actor that's now playing Spock. Oh yeah. He's great too. I like, I like him a lot. So yeah, I think the casting seems really solid and looking forward to it yeah i hope i hope you dig it well thanks for joining us for my uh, backdoor star trek strange new worlds podcast pitch if you want to hear us talk about anything on the show that's not related to star trek but is related to making comics you can email comics experience uh, info at comicsexperience.com. and until next time keep making comics mm-hmm.